It's time for the season finale of Getting a Bit Messy. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, football-loving friends from all around the world, welcome to the finale of season one here on the Getting a Bit Messy show in the WECB studio. I, as always, am your host for the day, joined by my wonderful co-hosts and football-loving friends, Nandan Nair and Thomas Pudiak. I am Connor Donovan, and we have an extremely exciting finale planned out for you, our amazing fans, tonight. This is, of course, the last time I will ever be here in the WECB studio as I finished my last undergraduate class, and I'm officially graduating and moving on this coming spring into the real world. I know, sad face, guys. However, with that being said, I am still incredibly excited to work on this show from home and talk football for our fans with Thomas and Nandan every week. We have a very exciting fan-submitted question to answer on the show first this week, which I have not told Nandan and Thomas about beforehand and is sure to spark a spirited debate to start our show today. Then we're going to do a bit of a shorter grand review of the week, despite how much action there was, because when we come back from our short break this week, we are going to name the most indispensable player to each Premier League club so far this season. So which club, which player can your club not live without this season? We have all agreed upon those picks prior to the show, and then following will be our final predictions at pace of the season, where Nandan has given himself a three-point gap to work with for the final set of fixtures. Whatever. Nandan, Thomas, are you ready to get a bit messy for the final time here in the studio with me tonight? Meow. Let's do it. Very sad meow from Thomas from my last time in the studio. All right, let's get started with this week's fan question then. This one was submitted by one of our fans, Lydia A., who said, hey, Thomas, Connor, and Nandan, longtime listener, first-time writer, and big fan of the show. If Pele and Maradona were still alive and playing football today, how do you think they would match up against Messi? Ooh. Some sources put Maradona as the all-time greatest footballer with Pele second and Messi third. Any thoughts on that, and how would you guys rank them? I think I would crown Pele as the GOAT. It seems that he has the most consistency in his play over his career, getting record and award after record and award. Then Messi second, then Maradona third. Good luck on the finale and extremely excited for season two from Lydia A. That's a fascinating question, you know. Thank you. Thank thank you you for that heater of a question, Lydia. We are so excited to jump right into this one. So guys, I didn't tell you the context of the question, but what I did ask you each to do prior to the show is rank your top 10 greatest football players of all time and we are going to now compare our answers live on air and see where the greats that Lydia mentioned fall onto our list. I also have done some research to bring some stats to back some of these up while others are less stat based and more of an if you know you know kind of vibe. So let's get into this one guys. Starting off with my top 10, I'll lead us off. I've got Lino Messi ranked number one, I think pretty self-explanatory. Maradona ranked number two. Cristiano Ronaldo, rank number three. Johan Cruyff, rank number four. Ooh. Pele at number five. Thierry Henry has made Ooh. sixth in my list. Ronaldinho at seven. Zinedine Zidane at eight. Paolo Maldini, the defensive titan at nine. And Dennis Bergkamp rounding out my top ten with three honorable mentions here that didn't make my list of Andres Iniesta, the Brazilian Ronaldo, a.k.a. R9, and Kaká. All right, solid list. Let's take us through your top 10, Nandan. Who you got? All right, so um, 
A couple changes in mine. Uh, at one, I have Lionel Messi, same as you. Uh, I have Cristiano Ronaldo at two. Uh, I just think that's it makes sense. Uh, I've put Diego Maradona at three. Uh, at four, I've gone Pele. At five, I've gone Johan Cruyff. At six, I've gone Zidane Zidane. At seven, I've gone Alfredo Di Stefano, which Ooh. I know you didn't have in your list. I I've, did not know. I overlooked Di Stefano. I also have another one. Uh, at eight, I've put Franz Beckenbauer in at this list. Mm. Uh, another good German, shout. Right? Uh, I've put Thierry Henry in at nine. And at ten, I'm going to finish off with Ferenc Puskas. He does have an award named after he him. He does, after all. indeed. Uh, and I have four honorable mentions, just because there's one I do want to bring up, which I think is a bit out of the blue. Uh, I have R9 in there. Uh, Michel Platini in there and Ronaldinho. And I also have Manuel Neuer in on this list simply because I think he's revolutionized the goalkeeper position. It's a hot take. It's a hot take. I appreciate a good hot take in this debate right now. uh, I'll accept Neuer in your honorable mentions for now. I'm glad he didn't make your top 10 that you didn't quite go that far. (laughs) Thomas, go ahead. Hit us with your top 10 now. Greatest football players to ever do it. Well, I'm going to match your guys' number one here with Lionel Messi. Uh, number two, Pele. I, I uh, then go for number three, uh, CR7. I, I think I put Maradona a little lower than either of you guys, but I put him here at number four here. Uh, number five, uh, Beckenbauer. I, I wanted to get uh, some defenders mm-hmm. on this list, not just put the top goal scorers. Um, I really, really like Beckenbauer. Mm-hmm. Number six, name I'm a little shocked didn't come up more, Gerd Muller. Um, I, I think... To me, like, I know I just said not to put more goal scorers, but, like, in terms of goal scorers, I mean, just one of the greats. Um, I, I really, really rate uh, Miller. Um, number seven, Zidane. It feels odd. I think I I think I may, a uh, hot take, I might like him a little less than most people, but I think it's inarguable. It has to be up there. With number eight, Johan Kraf. Um, um, number nine, Michel Plantini. Number 10, Di Stefano. Um, some honorable mentions I have here. Uh, Maldini, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Pushkas, R9. I Now, nah, I'm not going to mention my other honorable mention. I was just no, throwing go ahead, name. Go ahead. Throw it in there. Throw it in there. Why not, Thomas? I did, it's on the paper. I tossed out Luis Suarez. Ooh. I don't think he cracks this many, but uh, I do think he's one of the all-time great. This was slightly inspired by a misread Nandan's selections here. I thought he wrote <laughs> RL9, and I was like, I, I arguably think he's not even the best striker of his generation. So I put that as a response, and then I learned to read. Nice. Fair enough. Very nice. Fair enough. I like him. All right. I'm going to pick a couple, a couple of wild ones from this list, I think. Okay. First, I want to go to Nandan's list. Mm. Okay. You've thrown De Stefano in at seven. I have. Run, run me through how De Stefano has made it in your into your top ten above Franz Beckenbauer, Thierry Henry, and Frank Pushkesh. Of course, yeah. Honestly, I threw De Stefano in here because I just think when you look at the time frame he played in, he was just such a revolutionary player. He definitely was. I feel like he was one of the original like Galacticos that Madrid had. Uh, you know, he won, I think, some eight league titles. He won, I believe, four or so Champions Leagues in a row or Champions Cups. It was at the time. Uh, he won a couple Ballon d'Ors. Uh, he also, uh, fun fact, which I think no one's mentioned so far, Alfredo De Stefano, he's the only player to win the Super Ballon d'Or, which is an award that was given once by France football for the best player of the last three decades. Um, so I think... You can argue that because it's only given out once, it could be a Mickey Mouse trophy where you can say what you want. 
But I think for the impact he's had on the game and for what he the accolades he's won with the multiple Ballon d'Ors and the Super Ballon d'Or, uh, I think that puts him in the top 10, personally. All right. You know what? I'll, I'll accept it. I'll <laughs> accept it. I can, I can get behind that reasoning. Let's go to Thomas's list mm. now. Thomas, explain to me how Beckenbauer ended up all the way at five <laughs> in your top 10 players of all time. Oh, I just love him. Um, I, I think, uh, people don't rate defenders as much as they ought to. Um, I think, uh, I think obviously, you know, um, it's, I think it's basically impossible to, I mean, Messi had a goal, a goal scoring season of 91 goals in, in a, in a season. I, I think it's impossible for a defender to, I don't even know what metric you would even try to quantify something like that, like to prevent the, the, you know, have an expected goals of minus 91. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even know how you would quantify something like that, that where a defender could even... Because if your team doesn't score or doesn't concede any goals, that's considered, like, a team effort, and I think that's usually underrated. But um, if you score a goal, for some reason, the concept of team play kind of gets tossed out the window a little bit. Um, you know, either, uh, you know it's not like hockey. Even the assist before the assist doesn't even get listed as a metric. Um so, you know, which is still, it is a real metric. Fundamentally, we just don't care enough to um, actually quantify that in any sense. Um, I think he is probably the best defender of all time. Uh, although I do have that uh, Maldini shout in my honorable mentions. Uh, I just think if you were going off stats alone, I don't think there's any way to def- like defend that. I don't think there's a good way to do such, but I, d- I just think he's excellent. That's fair. I actually will back Thomas up on this one. I think I really, I, I put him in, in mind too. I love Beckenbauer. I actually think he was one of the, the first real like defenders that was known for the technical ability. Mm. Uh, he was a really revolutionary defender in that sense. He was a goal scorer. He was incredible with his feet. Uh, his passing was really good. Um, I think he, just, he really st- was one of those that started to redefine the defending role a little. And even as a manager, he was incredible. So I think... I can accept it. I think I, I can see why. See, I think I've just got a little bit of a different perspective. I uh, I grew up playing youth soccer as a center back and then went and played college soccer as a center back. So I've grown up watching and idolizing center backs across the top divisions across Europe. And I just, I've always thought growing up that Maldini was a more complete package as a center back than Beckenbauer was. So that's why I put him mm. in my uh, in my top 10 above Beckenbauer. Which is strange because you model your play off of Pepe. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, Thomas. Two different decades, two different time zones. I think. It's yeah, the about game. The game has show. changed since then, Thomas. The <laughs> game has changed. The other one I wanted to just mention really quickly is that I've put Johan Cruyff at number four in my top ten list, mm. above Pele at number five, and I think this one is maybe a bit of a hot take for some mm. people, especially mm. you, Thomas, who put Pele at number two. Pele does have three World Cups with the Brazilian national team to his to his name. Apart from that, I can't really see much else other than that, you know, he's been told by generations as this fantastic player. And listen, he did play in Brazil back in a time where the Brazilian league was probably one of the most competitive in the entire world. Um, but the game has changed a lot since then. And I think that We've seen some feats of just raw athleticism in the modern game now that you look at the era of guys like Pele and Maradona and wonder how they might stack up against mm. today's greats. Well, Maradona would do well because he was taking hormones. But <laughs> well, yeah, that's fair. But yeah, anyways, you know, little, that, that, might be, yeah, that might be a little hot take, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
Anyways, that is going to do it for our ranking of the goats. Thank you again to Lydia A for submitting that awesome fan question to us and giving us some great content to start our season finale with. Now it's time to move on to our breakdown matches from this past week. We had some exciting fixtures in both the Champions League and the uh, European League. So let's start right off. Thomas, do you want to take us through what happened to Manchester United at Old Trafford, losing 3-0 to Bournemouth? Oh, I can try, but I don't know if I could tell you what the heck happened here. <laughs> um, this one was a very strange one. Uh, Bournemouth pick up their fourth win in five games. They're starting to look uh, much better. They seem to have been picking up some good momentum. Speaking of uh, momentum, Dominic Solanke, wow. Uh, he gets the party started five minutes into this match, uh, scoring his eighth goal of the season for Bournemouth. Um, a fun little stat is since last season, and I, I know Connor doesn't like this one, but uh, uh, Dominic Solanke has scored more non-penalty goals than uh, Darwin Nunez, uh, Miguel Almiron, and I should have written down the Bruno, uh, uh, Bruno Fernandez. Fernandez. Bruno Fernandez as well uh, at 22 now uh, over Dar- uh, Darwin Nunez is the next closest on 21. Solanke, great form. They held out for the first half. They played, you know, it seemed like maybe a bit of a slip for that moment, but nope, At the by the end, they just absolutely got piled on. Uh, Philip Billings scored in the 68th minute, which I believe was is his second goal in two games now after not scoring for over a year. Uh, and then a third just five minutes later through Marco Sensi, uh, completely deflating the Red Devils for the rest of the match. Here's another Solanke stat for mm. you. Since the start of since the end of last season and the start of this Premier League campaign, Dominic Solanke has accounted for fifty five percent of all of Bournemouth's goals scored. Wow. Wow. So there's there's a crazy stat for you. Solanke is absolutely loving life with the Cherries right now, and Manchester United are simply not loving life at the moment. No. Next up, another Premier League clash. Aston Villa have done it again. One week removed from toppling Premier League champions Manchester City, Unai Emery's Aston Villa faced another tough task, hosting Mikel Arteta's league-leading Gunners. Villa came out firing on all cylinders, finding an early goal in the seventh minute through Scottish international Super John McGinn, and the limbs when that goal went in were mental and the atmosphere made it incredibly hard for Arsenal to find momentum for a short while. Arsenal, however, thought that they had scored late in the game to equalize, but the goal was called back after hitting Martin Odegaard in the hand as it fell to the floor kindly for the Arsenal attackers to poke home. I know you guys probably saw this call too. What were your opinions on this call? Because in my opinion, I think the call was harsh, but ultimately probably necessary. See, the way I view it, I think this is, as we said, a very interesting case. The way I see it is the call that originally was made determined how this happened. Because the way I saw it was that, yes, it did hit the Arsenal player's hand, and from there it directly led to a goal. It did, however, also look like it hit an Aston Villa player's hand. So I think the call, the original call is really important in this context, because if you take a look at the VAR replay, I don't think there was anything conclusive that could have led the referee to change their decision. So if they originally called this a penalty, I think they would have kept that call and went along with it. However, because they called a disallowed goal in the first place, I think that's their decision. So I think it does make sense. Uh, is it iffy? Yes, very iffy. But in given the context of VAR uh, and how the PGMOL has done it this season, I think there was no conclusive error. So therefore, the original call stands. I completely agree. I think the the terms they've been using are clear and obvious, and yes. I absolutely agree. Is I think if they call it, 
VAR's not going to overturn it, but I actually, I completely agree if they look at that and, and if the referee said, oh, I think it might be a penalty, actually, I think it hit Aston Villa first, and he calls that, I don't think VAR could overturn that either. I don't think it's clear and obvious either way. Um, I, and again, I agree, with, I agree with your assessment that it, it, it is harsh. You don't yeah. like seeing it, but if I'm honest... Necessary. I, I, I think so, I yeah. think I think it's uh, the game is unhealthy otherwise. Yeah. It, you, you know, you want yeah. the more excitement, you want the goal. If it happens to your team, you're gutted. But uh, it, as as okay. overall, I, I think it's completely needed yeah. um, Fair uh, thing. Fair enough. Emmy Martinez proved once again in this game that he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, keeping a clean sheet despite an expected goals of 1.4 for the Gunners on the night. And a match rating of 8.9 means that Martinez's efforts earned him man of the match honors in Fop Mob's rating system. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, Connor, I, I think we were talking about this beforehand. This game did feel like one of those really tight games where the team that scored first was going to go on and win it. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think Villa, Villa deserved the win. Mm-hmm. 100%. Let's throw it over now to the Bundesliga, <laughs> where what on earth has just <laughs> happened to Bayern Munich? Four different goal scorers on the day for Frankfurt, who welcomed Manuel Neuer back from his long-term injury in brutal fashion, <laughs> winning 5-1 five, five on the day as Frankfurt beat Bayern. And those four different goal scorers, Marmouche, Larson, Knauf, all found the back of the net, along with Abimbe, who bagged an extra one for a brace on the day. Joshua Kimmich pulled a goal back to make the score 3-1 just before halftime, but Frankfurt tagged two more on in the second half en route to a dominant thrashing of the German champions. The loss also means that Bayern missed an opportunity to go level on points at the top with Leverkusen prior to their test versus Stuttgart. This is your honorable mention. No, oh, yeah, what God. an honorable mention for your top ten uh, footballers of all time, non Don. Quite a howl over this one. <laughs> it's no, all right. w- you, you you couldn't have known what was to come next. <laughs> I, I will say though, I think I'm noticing a trend. I think I think I feel like every year we do have the annual Bayern thrashing in one game. Usually, I feel like it's been Gladbach. Yeah, like, Gladbach. like your uh, annual Frankfurt. Kai Havertz purple patch. <laughs> <laughs> it's not mine anymore, actually. Um, but yeah, I think it was fascinating. I think. Um, I knew they were going to have some tough games this season. I didn't think it was going to be one of these kind of games. And usually I think when they do have those terrible games, uh, it creates outrage for maybe a day and then we go on because, you know, oh, it's Bayern. They're going to win the league anyway. Yeah, they'll be fine. But yeah, but at the same time, though, I actually, this season does feel a little bit different with how perfect Leverkusen have been this season. So it'll be interesting if they look back on this one with any regret. Yeah, I'm not too worried for him. I, I, I do agree. I do wonder, is this the season? But then, you know, you never want to get your hopes up. We said I hate to break year. it to you guys, but I wonder every season if, if this, this is going to be season, the season that somebody <laughs> changes it. And every season, nobody changes it yeah. and Bayern win the Bundesliga again. Here's the yeah. difference, though. They have Harry Kane this year. They have the Spurs curse. That's true. Yeah. They, have, they have the curse of having Harry Kane on their team. I, I, I will say this. I completely agree. I don't think there's any threat. What's fantastic about Bayern Munich this season, by the way, is it's a battle of whether Harry Kane will win his first ever trophy or Kingsley Coman will go without a trophy for the first time <laughs> Ever in his playing career, yep. someone someone's breaking it. Um, yeah, no, I I I think this happens every year. Let's be honest. That's uh, true. Even under Hansi Flick's like dominant tenure, their their first ever loss was a four nil thrashing by Gladbach. They have one of these every season where just the team doesn't look up to it. I will say, by the way, shout out uh, Joshua Kimmich, 
screamer. Only one yeah. goal. Great seemed, goal. No, it was a great goal. Hardly, hard to call it a consolation goal when it's so good, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a bright spot on the day was that screamer from Kimmich. Moving over now to La Liga, where boy, oh boy, were we treated to a game by Girona and Barcelona. Now this is one to worry about. Barcelona losing 4-2 to at home to what is now league-leading Girona. Barcelona found themselves down 1-0 just 12 minutes in after the Ukrainian connection for Girona set up the first goal. That's Sagankov to Dovbik. And then Robert Lewandowski equalized on a set piece seven minutes later, but Barcelona suffered in defense all game from sitting off the ball too far as attackers approached. And Miguel Gutierrez took advantage of that opportunity in the 40th minute, curling one top corner as the Barca defenders all backed off and watched him enter the box. Two more goals for Girona thanks to second-half substitutes Valeri Fernandez and Christian Stuani, who canceled out a very late Ilkay Gundogan goal taken quickly on the turn to try and restore some Barcelona momentum. Another very embarrassing loss at home for Barcelona, but Girona now moved back to sole position at the top of the Spanish top flight, which is absolutely incredible scenes as they all got in a huddle and were dancing, celebrating with each other, having beaten Barca to go back to the top. I was reading something recently that said, uh, of course, uh, the Spotify camp news currently under renovations. By the time it's done, they could fit the entire population of the city of Girona inside of it and still have room for home fans. Wow. Yep. I also have to say, uh, I was seeing something about uh, comparisons between Girona and Leicester. Uh, But at the same time, it was a stat. I believe Girona's wage bill this season, I believe it was something in the range of, I think, 6.6 million across their entire first team. By the way, some randomly odd players at Girona this season. (laughs) Eric Garcia is on loan from Barcelona at Girona. Yep. Daily Blind mm. is at Girona. When did that move happen? <laughs> How has that one gone under they, my they've, radar? They've assembled the Streets Will Forget Avengers to win the Streets Will Forget. It's <laughs> <laughs> a violation. All right. All right. Moving on. Our last breakdown match. Newcastle go crashing out of Europe, losing 2-1 to one to AC Milan at home. It was Fakayo Tamori with an unbelievable goal line clearance to deny Newcastle just 19 minutes into the match from a clear chance to go up 1-0 through Miguel Almiron and Joelinton connection. Joelinton then smashes home a brilliantly worked Newcastle team move in the 32nd minute, blasting it far post top corner and giving Mike Magnon absolutely no chance to dive for it. Second half, however, Newcastle fall asleep at the back post on a corner kick after clearing it out leaving Christian Pulisic, Captain America, wide open at the back post for Olivier Giroud to cleverly tap it to, and Captain America is not going to miss from inside the six-yard box. Gimarayas forced Magnon into a brilliant save in the 69th minute, unleashing a hit from distance to Magnon's far post, but he managed to sprawl out and get fingertips on it that pushed it onto the bar and denied Newcastle a very good goal-scoring chance. Leao also missed a wide-open chance of his own 10 minutes later, rattling a breakaway chance off the post and out for a Newcastle throw-in. One that's a bit odd this season. You look at Leao last season, the year before that, and you put him in that position and you expect him to score that goal. Chuck Wazy then made a substitute appearance and an impact immediately after being subbed into the game, 
making a run to the far post and curling it back across goal, bearing it on Martin Dubrovka's far side and pushing Milan ahead on the night and ending Newcastle's magical nights in the Champions League. That goal by Chunkweze, by the way, the exact goal that I expected layout to score when he missed that save. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of poetic justice that they went on to win that way anyway, in my opinion. <clears throat> Anyways, that is going to do it for all of our breakdown matches for the week, but we are going to throw it to a short break before we bring you our noteworthy news from around Europe, the most indispensable player to each Premier League club this season, and our final round of predictions at pace. So don't go anywhere. All right, we are back in the WECB studio here on Getting a Bit Messy, and it's time to bring you our noteworthy news from around Europe this past week. So let's waste no time here and get started on Saturday, December 9th, starting with the Premier League. It was Crystal Palace hosting Liverpool and losing 2-1. Liverpool also showing off some elite mentality this season in terms of pulling points from losing positions. Went down 1-0 again in this game thanks to a Mateta penalty after he was subbed on for Crystal Palace in the second half. However, Mo Salah scored his 200th goal for Liverpool to equalize, and Harvey Elliott makes a super sub appearance, scoring a belter from just outside the box to steal all three points and move the Reds to the top of the Premier League table. Come on, you Reds. <laughs> Brighton won, Burnley won, as Burnley pick up a point on the road. Shocker here, Brighton are starting to worry us a bit with their Premier League form have to get the consistency together or at least start converting more of their chances to cover up for those one or two errors a game leading to goals from the back. Sheffield United 1-0 Brentford. Chris Wilder is back in the Premier League and picks up a win at home for the Blades against a very hot and cold Brentford side that's missing in Bumo at the moment, who also seem back to their win-loss, win-loss yo-yo form that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Wolves won, Nottingham Forest won. A rare Harry Tofolo goal earned Forest a draw on the road against the Wolves side who have been rather hot and cold in the Premier League this season and tend to play down to the level of their opposition. Moving over to La Liga, it was Real Betis holding Real Madrid to a 1-1 draw. Betis pulled two points off Real Madrid, earning themselves an impressive draw and opening up the door for an epic opportunity for Girona to go back to the top of the league by toppling Barcelona. Real Sociedad beat Villarreal 3-0 on the road, and wow, Villarreal are really, really poor this season, and it's only getting worse. Dominated at home by Real Sociedad, who have struggled to find consistent form on the road this season. Another team that's going from bad to worse in La Liga this season, it's Sevilla. Mallorca won nil Sevilla. Wow, they are poor, and they continue to get worse. Mallorca are nothing special this season, and the leadership figures in Sevilla's squad are clearly scratching their heads for answers as to how to lead this club back on the right track. Over to the Bundesliga, Union Berlin picked up a win for the first time what feels like forever, beating Mönchengladbach 3-1. They've been fairly competitive with the European Giants in the Champions League despite their shaky form in the Bundesliga, but we here in the studio are all glad to see them find three points in the league finally. Dortmund 2, RB Leipzig 3. Dortmund just love making things more difficult on themselves this season, don't they? Mats Hummels picks up a straight red card in the 15th minute of the match, and after that, the momentum shifted completely in Leipzig's favor for the remainder of the first half, culminating in a Dortmund own goal in the 32nd minute. Nicholas Sula managed to pull one back against the run of play before halftime, but second-half goals from Christopher Baumgartner and Yusuf Poulsen at the death against the run of play canceled out a late Nicholas Fulkrug goal. It's Serie A where we had 
AC Milan lose an absolute thriller 3-2 to Atalanta on the road as Atalanta stole all three points away from a 10-man AC Milan at the death through a world-class goal from Luis Muriel. Another name I feel like I haven't heard in years. The streets will remember here for a <laughs> super sub Muriel. Yep. AC Milan's title charge ambitions also now continue to fade. Inter 4, Udinese nil. A Milan team that is not seeing their title hopes fade. Inter keep trying to extend that gap at the top of the table. But surprisingly, Juventus haven't gone anywhere. After beating Napoli 1-0 last Friday before our show, Juventus still sit just two points behind Inter Milan, waiting for them to slip up in any sort of fashion. Thomas, you want to take us through Sunday, December 10th? Yes, I shall. Uh, starting on Sunday, Everton 2. Plug your ears here. Chelsea nil. Sorry, Nandan. Things are just getting Sorry, worse hey, and worse for Chelsea. At least I didn't make you read this section. That's this a good point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's tough for you here. Here's a stat, Nandan. Enzo Fernandez has, ju- has now has just an 8% win ratio uh, in the Premier League. How's that feeling for you there? I mean, uh, I, you, let, you let that one sit in properly. So, how long is he chained to this club, Nandan? How, do you, what's his contract looking like right now? Does he have seven years, ten years? What, what are you? I'm pretty sure it's ten. You know, a funny note on that: <laughs> uh, the Premier League recently voted to reduce contracts to five years. No, actually, I saw the same thing. That's amortization for deals. So. Ah. Payments can only be made over a span of five years now. And Bowley was one of the people that voted yes on that. So he used the loophole and then closed it. You know it's getting bad when I'm celebrating transfer loopholes over victories. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Because you don't have any victories to celebrate nope. recently, yeah. mate. Nope. <laughs> Another team brought to crumbling to their knees by the mighty power of Sean Deichball and Everton legend Abd- Abdullahi. I'm getting over past that one. $200 million Um, midfield being manhandled (laughs) by I will say this. It's a shame for Chelsea that they had to go up against a team of such high stature. Without that loss, they'd be three three places higher than you in the table. (laughs) Hey, speaking of another team that looks to be recovering super well, Fulham 5, West Ham nil. Whoa. That is completely shocking. Another very impressive result for Marco Silva's side, who, by the way, have now scored 16 goals in their last four. Four games. That's uh, a what three- is in the water over at Fulham right now? <laughs> what are they shocking. feeding those That's blokes? Three two win against Wolves. Four three loss against Liverpool. Five nil win against Nottingham Forest, and now another five nil win against West Ham United. Great form for Marcus Silva's side. Great way, way to bounce back. Uh, Luton Town one, Man City nil. Whoa, wow. this was a strange game. We uh, we thought we might be on our way to some more Luton Town magic at the Kenny. But unfortunately, five bad minutes is all it took for the champions, uh, uh, the former champions, I should say. I guess still raining to uh, put back. uh, uh, Adebayo put the Hatters up just before halftime. But second half goals, again, only a few minutes apart from Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish. Rescued all three points from Man City, who won for their first time in four Premier League games. But Luton Town were five bad minutes from a great result here. Still a great performance. Plenty to be proud of. Speaking of another great performance to be proud of, Tottenham 4, Newcastle 1. Whoa. Ravaged by injuries, Newcastle's really didn't seem like they stood a chance from the first whistle at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Momentum completely in Spurs' favor for almost the entire match, if I'm honest. Uh, Udogi scored great, great goal, and he's building a great connection with Son. And then Son himself scored late, uh, later from the penalty spot. And then, in a strange moment, a two-goal performance from Richarlison of all of the Tottenham attackers. (laughs) 
this actually means he's now outscoring Gabriel Jesus. That's a that's, that's a little a fun crazy fact for stat you. for you. Richarlison uh, now outscoring Gabriel Jesus. Yes. Another fun fact: uh, at this point in the season, we've now seen Chelsea beat Spurs four one, Newcastle beat Chelsea four one, and now Spurs beat Newcastle four one. Wow. That's, that's, like that's, that's like that early season triangle where it was like the 5-1 Villa over <laughs> yeah. Newcastle, yep. the 5-1 Newcastle over somebody else, yep. and then the 5-1 over. Yeah, Villa. so uh, Joe Linton uh, saw out that game with a, a very quite impressive goal, but only a consolation. Never looked like they were getting back into it. Yep. Over in the Bundesliga, another big game, a somewhat shocking result, but not too bad. Stuttgart won, Leverkusen won. Another draw for Leverkusen, another great result for Stuttgart. Leverkusen remained unbeaten, but they will still feel like they uh, should have walked away with all three points from this game. Um, they got lucky with the uh, this week with Frankfurt's demolition of Bayern Munich, so they actually still add an extra point on their rivals. Uh, but I think they'll be a bit disappointed not to come out of it, but impressive, impressive play continuing from Stuttgart. We're going to go over to Serie A briefly, where Roma won, Fiorentina won, Lukaku scored just five minutes in. This was a wild game. Wild. Yes. Uh, you wondered if Roma might try to find a foothold, but not in the slightest. Fiorentina clearly frustrated Roma throughout the game as uh, uh, Nikola Z- uh, Zalewski picked up a double booking. It was sent off in the 65th minute, only to watch Fiorentina equalize in the 66th. Then Lukaku got a straight red card in the 82nd minute, taking Roma down to just nine men on the pitch. Never an ideal situation, but uh, but if you thought there couldn't be a late equalizer, Fiorentina also got a red card late into the game, ending the game with just 19 players on the pitch. A really, really impressive result for Fiorentina on the road here. Who have been quite impressive overall in Serie A this I, season, I agree. I, say. I, th- I thought they might struggle not this team, season with some departures, but they have looked absolutely excellent. I was going to say, excellent. not a team I expected to do well this season no. at all. So credit yeah. to Fiorentina here. All right, Nandan, you ready to take us through Tuesday's Champions League action, my friend? Of course. Let's get right into it. For starters, FC Copenhagen won Galatasaray nil, And with this result... Copenhagen have now automatically punched their ticket to the Champions League round of 16. An incredible result and incredible scenes for the Danish club, who were picked by many pundits to finish bottom of the group. Uh, and understandably so, if you look at what their group was. Honestly, probably picked by me to finish bottom of the group as well. Myself <laughs> probably too, but fair play. Uh, and the other result from this group... Man United won, Bayern Munich nil. No, Bayern won, United That's what I meant, sorry, sorry. (laughs) That's what I meant to say. Man United nil, Bayern Munich won. We'd be having Um, a very different discussion if United (laughs) won that game. The real number is Oscar Hodgland won, Rasmus Hodgland nil. They fought hard, you know, I'll give them that. But United never quite looked like fighting the back of the net. Uh, a task they needed to complete if they even wanted to think about playing Thursday night football in the Europa League. Uh, as some might say, a 0% chance, 0% faith. Um, instead, they lose 1-0 and now have gone crashing out of all of Europe, which I must say... I, I'll say here, a quick stat for you. You talk about 0% chance, 0% faith. Actually... 0.3% expected chance. After, wow. after after Eric Ten Hag talked about all the great chances, Opta ran an analysis on it. They had they had just 0.05% expected <laughs> goals per shot. Uh, so 0.05% Eric, Eric Ten Hag chance. again in the media, by the way, afterwards, claiming that this was another great performance and that Man United will feel upset that they haven't walked away with a win in that match. It's okay. The boys gave everything, as a famous man once said. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> speaking of, actually, uh, up next, it's Liverpool at Anfield. And how much longer does Eric Ten Hag have with this job? Reports are saying that Jim Radcliffe and Ineos are prepared to bring in, guess who, Graham Potter as the replacement if things don't turn around soon. So expect to hear the boys gave everything. A lot more. <laughs> I can't even begin to wrap my head around how idiotic that move would be for I- Manchester United. Listen, I don't think that Eric Ten Hag is the solution. We all saw the video of their rondos and training leading up Ugh. to the Bayern game. The players, he's already clearly lost the locker room. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Ten Hag is the right man to lead United into the future. However, with that being said... <laughs> If Ten Hag isn't the right man to lead United into the future, Graham Potter certainly isn't the right man to lead Man United into the future. See, this might be a hot take. I think it would be a bad decision from Graham Potter to join Man United. Oh, 100%. I agree with I you. Think, I still think he has a chance to restore his reputation. I am not as convinced about Man United in this state. I would speak for yourself, Connor. I wouldn't trust Graham Potter to coach my brother's under twelve team, let alone <laughs> oh. Manchester United. All right, that's that's a bit harsh. I think you just uh. I think you've just heard the boys gave it their all one too many times. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I've been traumatized. You can't you can't blame me. Anyway, moving on from that horror show at Old Trafford, uh, Lens two Sevilla one. Another really, really horrible result from Sevilla, and who usually would look like trying to make it to the Europa League. They haven't even made the Europa League. Nope. They've finished fourth in their group. Uh, just going from bad to worse overall. Don't know what's happening at Sevilla, guys. Uh, moving on, PSV Eindhoven won Arsenal one. Arsenal sent the B team to play this one who had already clinched top spot, and they were perfectly happy to see some guys get some minutes for the club. One I didn't expect to ever play for Arsenal again. Cedric Suarez made a UCL appearance this week. Wow. Wild. Serginho Dest tried to erase our national team memories with a cheeky nutmeg to set up his national teammate Ricardo Pepe's assist. Uh, but ultimately, I believe Eindhoven and Arsenal both go through from this group, correct? Yes. Yes. Because uh, Lons have ended up in the Europa, Europa League knockout. Despite yep. playing an excellent game. Yeah. Indeed. Moving on, Napoli 2, Braga nil. Another game where the result didn't matter whatsoever, and Napoli were able to rest some talent prior to the round of 16 and some important Serie A fixtures to come. Bit of an odd one, though. Didn't rest Osimhen. That's true. Threw in the group already, and you didn't rest Victor Osimhen in a game that meant absolutely nothing. Bit baffling to me, but anyways, go they ahead. Might, they might know his games are limited. Who knows? Uh, moving on, same in, in staying in this group. Union Berlin 2, Real Madrid 3. Madrid surviving a scare from Union Berlin, who treated their fans to an incredible last Champions League night at their home ground by scoring an 85th-minute equalizer against Real Madrid, only to let Danny Ceballos win it in the 89th. Bummer. Bummer. Can you imagine how epic it would have been if Union Berlin said goodbye to the Champions League by drawing Real Madrid at home? You know, we actually will have another uh, goodbye, another surprising goodbye later on in this match day, uh, which I think, Connor, you're going to talk us through with Royal Antwerp. I will, yeah. Uh, but moving <laughs> on, Inter Milan nil, Real Sociedad nil. Um, nothing really to say here. Boring game, two teams that didn't care what happened, uh, and they both were able to rest players en route to the round of 16. However, important to note, Real Sociedad topped this group, as well as the fact that all four Spanish teams topped their group mm-hmm. in this UCL stage. Spain had more representatives in the Champions League round of 16 than any other country. Indeed. Good for them. 
and then lastly, Salzburg won Benfica three. Benfica qualified for the Europa League in style, scoring a ninety plus two minutes uh, goal through Arthur Cabral to punch their ticket to the knockout stages of the Europa League, despite being out of the Champions League. And very strangely, every single one of the commentators talked about Arthur Cabral as making up for the controversy of last week. They use this phrase multiple times without explaining it. I went on the news for him, could not find a single article, not one (laughs) article about it. Ever, I think they were just making it up. I have no. If anyone Maybe follows Benfica, please send in an email because I have researched this for literally two hours and cannot <laughs> find, find one article, one tweet, anything about this. Interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Uh, next up, it's Wednesday, December twelfth. Champions League coverage. Atletico Madrid two nil Lazio. Lazio looked back to their Serie A form in this game, carrying some momentum, but never really quite looking to threaten Atletico, who have been very difficult to play against when they are at home this season. Celtic two Feyenoord one, and yes, Celtic may be out of the knockouts already prior to this match. Yes, Celtic may also be out of contention for the Europa League prior to this match. But that is exactly the position that you do not want to be in at Celtic Park (laughs) because they are going to treat their fans to one last show. A 90th plus first minute winner from Gustav Lagerbielka is enough to send Celtic Park into raptures and give those fans one last Champions League night from this year. They won't forget, certainly, anytime soon. Next up, bit of a controversial one, Dortmund won, PSG won. Dortmund top the group of death and PSG become AC Milan fans. Nandan also <laughs> takes a bonus point from this game off of Thomas in the prediction table, Never. picking a perfect one in one draw. Whoop, whoop. Lee Kang in missed a sitter in the first half to give PSG the lead. Then Mbappe danced around the keeper, Koble, only to be denied by an incredible Nicholas Sula sliding block off the goal line. Beautiful. Pure art that defending was coming from a defender. Dortmund capitalized first off a PSG error at the back as full crew collects the ball near the goal line and slips it back for Kareem Adeyemi, who slots home only for Warren Zaire Emery, who's been so impressive for PSG all season long to come back down the other end and equalize just five minutes later. A point is enough on the night for PSG to go through second in the group while Dortmund managed to top the toughest group in this season's Champions League. Red Star 2, 3, Manchester City. Man City 20-year-old youth product Micah Hamilton scores just 19 minutes into his first team debut, but then gets memed a bit by the UCL Today crew on television for an awful dive in the penalty area that gets linked to an old Michael Richards dive in his Aston Villa days. <laughs> Oscar Bob enjoys a goal in his playing time, and Calvin Phillips scores what feels like his last goal in a City shirt from the penalty spot. Which is a shame because it was also his first. <laughs> Leipzig 2, 1 Young Boys. Benjamin Sesko finds the back of the net, and Emil Forsberg scores a nice farewell goal to the Champions League before moving to MLS's New York Red Bulls this offseason. They also gave crucial rest to Luisa Penda and Xavi Simmons prior to the round of 16. Well managed by Leipzig. FC Porto 5, 3 Shakhtar Donetsk, a wild 8-goal thriller on the final match day of the Champions League that featured 7 different goal scorers, if you count Eustachio, who scored an own goal for Porto. <laughs> Royal Antwerp 3 to Barcelona. Sure, this might not mean much to Barcelona, who sent a rotated squad and were already through to the round of 16, but this feels like Christmas morning for Antwerp, who earned their first ever win in their club's Champions League history by taking down Giants Barcelona. 
It might not seem like much, but game management is a real issue for Barcelona this season, who equalized in the 90th plus first, only to concede again and lose in the 90th plus third. Thomas, you want to take us through Thursday very quick? Yes, very briefly. We had Ajax 3, AEK Athens 1. Ajax finally end up in the back back in the win column, making their home fans happy with a win in a game that would normally be expected to be a win, but this season it's up in the air. They turned things around a bit in the league, however, winning four, uh, four in a row to pull themselves up to fifth in the Eredivisie, coming from la- dead last. Very Brilliant. good turnaround in the league, right? Brighton won Marseille nil. That's Joao Pedro scores an 88th minute winner to send Brighton top of their group, launching himself into the home end and celebrating with the fans. Love to see Joao Pedro is now the top scorer for European football. Uh, that is after Rasmus Hojland went out as his lead. Union Saint, uh, uh, I always mess up this name here. Union Saint Joa. Joa. Never would have gotten that. Two, Liverpool won. Holy moly. Liverpool lost in Europe, but didn't really matter. They Ooh, were already top matter. of the group, and they were basically, you could argue, almost like a D squad. Yeah. It wasn't even like their C team. It wasn't even a B squad. It no, was like not a in the C slightest. or D team. C, it was a youth team, really. Uh, great minutes for them. They played well. West Ham 2, Freiburg 1. West Ham also topped the Europa League group, punching an automatic ticket into the knockout rounds of the competition. Come on, you irons. Good job. All right. Now it's time to move to our final segment before our predictions, the most indispensable player to each Premier League club. So like I said, we've all had a discussion about these players prior to the assignment, and we've all come up with who we believe is the most indispensable player for each Premier League club. Starting off, I'll throw it to each of you guys for each of these teams so we can just bounce through them. So start, starting off, I'll start us with Arsenal. Declan Rice or Martin Odegaard? I think Odegaard gets the edge here. Rice mops up all the messes, but that Arsenal attack just doesn't go through the same high-octane gears that it's capable of when Odegaard isn't in the equation. Arsenal played five games in all competitions without him and lost two of them. Speaks volumes. There is a real argument here for Declan Rice, however. Aston Villa, Thomas. Yes, John McGinn, John McGinn, John McGinn. There are many immovable pieces in this via side at the moment, as Ollie Watkins makes a case as well. McGinn is a complete box-to-box midfielder and is just about as passionate as a club captain can get. With him pulling the strings, and uh, without him pulling the strings, I think Villa lose key momentum they had in every game. Nandan, Bournemouth. No one else but the big man himself, Dominic Solanke. No debate. After the Newcastle game, he had accounted for 55% of Bournemouth's goals this season, and without Solanke, they'd be five points worse off and bottom of the league. Mm. Speaks for itself. Brentford, it's Brian Mbumo. No Ivan Tony. no problem for Brentford this season, as Mbumo has been the glue that makes the entire machine function. Picking up the ball in deep areas and marauding forward, drawing defenders away from teammates, and opening up spaces for Brentford to capitalize on. Missing him due to injury clearly has hit the club hard over the past few games. I've said it once, I've said it again. He has also been carrying my FPL team all season. <laughs> Thomas, Bright- Brighton and Hove Albion. Yes, the logical answer would seem like Matomo, but we've actually opted for Pascal Gross in this spot. Matomo is a rarely rotated out of the attack, but nobody makes their midfield tick quite like Pascal Gross does. He also has uh, picked up crucial roles playing as left back and right back for whenever they have injuries. His versatility is great and adding crucial goals to his game. Nandan Burnley. It was probably going to be Lyle Foster, but having stepped away indefinitely for mental health reasons, the nod now probably goes to Josh Brownhill, um, the most consistent performer in their midfield week in and week out, and he's regularly finishing with over 7.0 match ratings, even when Burnley lose. He's also the highest scorer on the season with three goals. Moving over to Chelsea now, it's Thiago Silva in an otherwise youthful Chelsea team. Silva sticks out. 
His experience and game IQ is second to very few in world football, and Chelsea's defense suffers massively for leadership guidance without him. There is, however, a legitimate case, as wild as it sounds, for Connor Gallagher in the midfield. <laughs> the performances recently with and without Gallagher speak volumes. Yeah, going over to Crystal, Crystal Palace, Eberice Eze. Um, I don't know uh, why he's not playing more often. He did have injury issues, but even since then, he's struggled for time. Since the start of last season, Crystal Palace have won 36.8% of their games in which Eze has started, but compare that to the 8.3% of their games win as a doesn't start. Absolutely shocking. It's not a cry for help in the attack. I don't know what else could be. Nandan, you want to tell us who the man for Everton is? Of course, it has to be none other than Abdoulaye Dekoure. The logical solution to this question in any other season would be Dominic Calvert-Lewin, their only goal scorer in this situation, their only goal-scoring striker. Uh, but what a season Abdullah Decore is having. Everton's leading goal scorer this season with six from midfield. An absolute dynamo in there being a box-to-box, keeping them chugging through all 90 minutes of Deitch ball. <laughs> Next up, it's Fulham, and there is no other answer available here besides Jao Polinho. One they're probably losing, if not in January, then for sure in the next tr- summer transfer window. Polinho is Fulham's Swiss Army knife, appearing in all areas of the pitch to win back possession and release Fulham's pacey wingers. Only six Premier League teams have allowed fewer shots than Fulham this season. That's because Polinia is mopping up at the top of the box. Heading over to Liverpool, Mo Salah. It's not really that big of a debate here. There's a reason that Salah seldom misses games for Liverpool, and I'm honestly shocked that he hasn't cracked his back from carrying the attack throughout the last season. Since he moved to the PL in 2017, only five players have logged more minutes than Salah. All of them are goalkeepers or center backs who do a lot less running than him. The only other option potentially discussed was Sobasai, who is also deserves an on-roll mention here, picked up in the summer and has won, more possession, uh, has won back more possession than any other player in the league this season. Excellent. Moving on to Luton Town, we've gone with Thomas Kaminsky, their goalkeeper. It may seem odd, especially considering their place on the table, but Kaminsky has, Kaminsky has been incredible for those who have watched him play this season, saving Luton multiple times from clear-cut chances for other teams' to score. Based on the XG model, Kaminsky has prevented 5.7 goals this season with his saves, 1.8 more than any other goalkeeper in the league. Next up is the Premier League champions, Manchester City, and there is another one that's not really up for debate. There's only one answer. That answer is Rodri. Rodri missed three games following his red card against Nottingham Forest. Manchester City lost all three of those fixtures. When he's available, they are impenetrable. When he isn't, the gates are wide open, and Rodri's absence has now blown the title race this season wide open. Heading over to the other side of Manchester, we're looking at Bruno Fernandes for Man United. As much as it sort of pains me, well... As much as it pains me to admit as a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Captain, leading assister, and joint top scorer prior to McTominay's brace versus Chelsea. Sorry, Nandan. <laughs> Fernandes does it all for United, and it's a bit worrying how much they still rely on him in the midfield, given the amount of money they've invested in their midfield over the past few windows. Mm. Moving over to Gordy Land with Newcastle United. <laughs> Uh, we've gone with Kieran Trippier. When he has a bad game, the team has a bad mm. game, perhaps highlighted by the very big mistakes he made that cost them at Everton. He's vital to their success at both ends of the pitch and perhaps the player they need to wrap in bubble wrap the most amidst a flurry of injury concerns. Another honorable mention here, Nick Pope. If they don't go get De Gea in January, they might be in some trouble behind the sticks. 
Next up is Nottingham Forest, where we've opted for Morgan Gibbs-White, perhaps not as relied upon as he was during their survival run last season. He is still vital to everything that Forest do in the attack, often serving as the link as Forest look to switch play and stretch opponents. His never-ending energy is missed in midfield when he's not on the pitch. Going over to Sheffield United, and I say screw it. We're looking at Chris Wilder here. Oliver Norwood deserves a shout as well. Uh, James McAtee from uh, the Man City Loney as well. But if anyone has a chance of keeping Sheffield United floating this season, it's going to be down to their manager, actually, Chris Wilder, and no individual se- uh, uh, player. His reinstatement cannot be underemphasized. This is massive for the club. Moving on to North London with Tottenham Hotspur, we've gone with James Madison. Yes, the obvious answer is probably Hyungman Son, but there's a reason Spurs were top of the table for a short spell, and that's because James Madison was creating more goal-scoring chances overall than any other player in the league prior to his injury at Chelsea. He's gone now until the new year, and probably so is all the momentum in the Spurs attack. Next up, West Ham United, Jared Bowen. (laughs) It feels unfair to award this to James Ward-Prowse after he just signed with the club despite his impact, but he makes a case as well. Without Bowen, however, the attack suffers greatly as the other West Ham attackers fail to step up in his absence. He also ranks 10th in the Premier League for touches in the opposition box, accounting for nearly 25% of all of West Ham's total touches in the opposition box. And finishing off with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Pedro Neto, absolutely excellent. Another one that's not really that much up for debate. Numbers don't really lie. Pedro Neto is currently leads the Premier League assist charts with a very, very substandard Wolves team that fights every week to find some form of consistency. But Neto is the definition of consistent, week in and week out, looking like one of the best wingers in the league, and absolutely for Wolves. Before we wrap up, I just want to note, I've just seen this. Uh, as of today with Spurs' win at Nottingham Forest, the Premier League has now had 501 goals scored this season, and it is in 161 games. That is the fewest matches needed to reach 500 goals in a season ever in the Premier League. Wow. Defending is gone, lads. Defending <laughs> is gone. All right. Last, it's our final predictions at pace round, the round that settles it all. Starting off with our first prediction game, Liverpool host Manchester United this Sunday. I'm saying that one's going to go 4-1 in favor of Liverpool. You know, usually these are the games that United uh, somehow managed to pull a win out of, but I'm going 3-1 Liverpool. Uh, I'm going 3-0 Liverpool. I don't think they're getting anything out of it. (laughs) All right, Leverkusen Frankfurt. I've said it's going to be a tight game, but that Leverkusen are going to prevail 2-1. I'm going with a little bit more towards Leverkusen with a 3-1 result. I'm going a hell, hell of a lot more towards Leverkusen with a 5-1 result for Leverkusen. Very nice. I like, the way we progressed. I, I like the way we progressed through there. <laughs> Bayern Munich versus VFB Stuttgart. I have said that this is going to be a very, another tight game. 3-2 Bayern Munich. I'm going to go a little bit closer. I think this is going to be a tight 2-1 Bayern win. I'm going to go even closer on the other end. 1-0 Stuttgart. Ooh. Whoa. Okay. Chelsea versus Newcastle in the EFL Cup quarterfinals. I'm saying this is going to be a 1-1 draw where Chelsea advance on penalties. You know, Connor, uh, I'd love to stick with my Chelsea team, but you know what? There's a title on the line. The prediction door is on the line, so I have to go rational. The prediction door. I like DR, that. So I'm going with 2-1 Newcastle, regrettably. Um, I'm going with 3-1 Newcastle. I said 2-1, but I need to differentiate from Nandon, who <laughs> stole my pick, by the way. Wrote it after me. All I'm saying. <laughs> All right, Liverpool-Arsenal is the final prediction game that we have. I'm saying 2-2 draw because Liverpool will not be able to beat two big opponents at Anfield back-to-back. 
I disagree. I think it's going to be a 2-1 Liverpool. I just don't think Arsenal have it in them right now to I, jump over Liverpool. I'm excited for a 3-2 Liverpool win. Please, Nandon, stop taking my picks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Before we wrap our final episode of Season 1, it is imperative that we stop to take a moment to thank all of the people who have supported us this season. For starters, we want to take the chance to shout out both of our guests this host this season, Max Demel and Will Goldsmith, as well as our good friend Grace Paradis for taking pictures during our recent episodes. We also couldn't end the show without thanking our fans for helping us to get to this point. So thank you to you guys who tuned into our show every week. We were able to land, thanks to you, we were able to land our content in 12 countries on six different continents in just two months of runtime on the air here in the studio. Antarctica's up next. (laughs) We're charging for it, lads. We're charging for it. So a very special getting a bit messy thank you to all of our listeners across Australia, Azerbaijan, Belgium, Colombia, Canada, England, France, Germany, India, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and the United States for making this first season one that we will certainly never forget and for inspiring all of us sitting here in the studio to continue bringing our football-loving friends great content for season two on the horizon. I, of course, am graduating in the spring, so I unfortunately won't get to share the studio with Nandan and Thomas anymore, but don't fret, you can't get rid of me that easily. I'll still be around next season calling into the studio to break down all of the most exciting news from world football with Thomas and Nandan as they finish their degrees here at Emerson. Unfortunately, though, that's all we've had the pleasure of discussing here on season one of the Getting a Bit Messy show in the WECB studio, and we will be on hiatus until the middle of January or early February, we're not sure yet when season two will get up and running during the spring semester. With that being said, thank you all for listening to season one, and we will see you all right back here for season two of Getting a Bit Messy.